goodness gleaned from it? Because it is good. Um, it is complicated as well. Colin, you read for us from the, uh, the never inaccurate version, um, which is a good version. Um, the, never, the NIV is rated that if you want to understand it fully, you have to have a university-level English education. Um, and usually it's fine, but you come to a passage like Romans 11, and you're reading it, and I'm going, oh, can you read it again? Slower, four times over, because it's complicated. That one, it's better, but it's different, and it's still, trust me, you read that one, and you still go, can you read it again? Because Paul is at his most brilliant and most confusing, I think, in chapters like Romans 11. So I think what we need to do is we need to pray and ask that God would, would open our eyes and our minds. Lord Jesus, please do open our eyes and our minds. Um, we own that, that we sometimes... Lord, we, we do stand because you have, you have saved us and we thank you for that. We thank you that you love us. Please help us to understand. Help us to, to know how good you are to us. Help us to understand what your plans and your purposes are. Thank you that you have done so much to rescue us. I pray that you would give us your heart, that others too would be saved. Speak now, Father. You wrote this. You, you inspired Paul. Please help us to understand what was meant and what, what it means for us today, all these years after it was written. Bless us, I pray. Speak through my lips. Amen. You know the story of Elijah? It's one of my favorite stories for so many reasons. I call him Elijah the amazing, miracle-working, depressed prophet because he ends up uh, doing all sorts of wonderful things. He's one of the stories of, of um, uh, being there where there's no water and no rain and God provides for him and then he goes to a widow and there's oil provided, and all sorts of things happen to Elijah. Uh, the situation is that uh, the king and his wife, a pleasant woman named Jezebel, were leading the people astray. Um, I'll put my olive branch there. <laughs> were leading the people astray. They were worshipping Baal all the time. Uh, God ha had had enough of that. He said there will be no rain. Eventually, there's the showdown of all the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Elijah comes and says, right, let's have a, let's have a, a test. Let's see which God is real. Uh, it's a great story because the prophets of Baal are there. And they are busy. Um, uh, I beg your pardon? We, we, that's okay. I, I, I'll preach because I've got the Bible. There it is. <laughs> I beg your pardon? Basic instructions before leaving earth. It stands for idea or domination. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Don't you hate me repeating itself? Bible's good. So always. Always. Yeah. Well let's see. Let's see what the Bible says in this chapter. Because we've got Elijah way back when, and Paul refers to it here. We've got Elijah, he's standing there. 
And the, he says to the prophets of Baal, right, let's see who can cause this sacrificed animal to sort of burn up. And the prophets of it's a lovely story. The prophets of Baal are dancing probably a bit more wildly than I dance and slashing their wrists to make blood flow because this is how obviously you've got to get Baal's attention and they ah, and it goes on for like hours. Eventually, Elijah starts teasing them. Yell a bit louder. I think he might be deaf or asleep or on the toilet. Eventually they stop. Elijah, he, he has water poured over his offering. Lots of water. And then he just, God, show who's God. <laughs> Fire burns up. All the water gets sucked up and, and evaporates as well. Incredible thing. And then Elijah, uh, full of fervor for God, kills all of the prophets of Baal. So, so I think it's about 700 of them. Now he goes off. Eventually Jezebel, the... the the wicked queen finds out about this. She is totally upset. She says, sends messages, says, Oi, you better watch out, Elijah. You killed my mates, the prophets of Baal. I'm going to kill you. Elijah runs off. Elijah is desperate. He runs into the desert. He falls down and says, I've had enough, God. I'm the only one who loves you and trusts you and follows you in this world. And I've had enough. Just take me home. I don't want to be here anymore. And I think Paul finds himself here. Um, as he deals with the world and, and he looks at the church and he sees a, a very similar situation to that which Elijah faced. The gospel has been winning this incredible victory against a, a pagan world, a, a world where God is not allowed to be God. And then Paul looks around and he sees all these people coming to know God and trust God and believe that Jesus saves and then he looks to his own people, the people of Israel. This has been the focus of chapters 9, 10, and 11. And he sees, here are the ones through whom the gospel came, and they are rejecting Jesus. They are rebelling against God. And Paul, you can almost hear him saying, Lord, why is this? How can it be that we are the only ones left? I am an Israelite. Yes, says Paul. I am an Israelite. I'm an Abenj of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm, I'm, I'm even named Saul, the name of the greatest Benjamite ever, King Saul. And is it just me? Has God rejected his own people? We saw last week that, that Israel as a people in general have stumbled over Jesus and, and not trusted in God. Does that mean that all of God's promises to them are null and void. Most of us are not Jew I think none of us are Jewish in this room today. Can we assume that God has had enough of the Jews once and for all? You remember Moses when, when Moses was standing there and they'd just done that terrible thing worshipping the golden calf and, and God said to them, Stand back, Moses, I'm gonna wipe him out and I'll start again with you. Has God done that with us? As he said to us, stand back, I'm going to start again. The Jews have had their chance, let's try some other nation. Has God switched tracks and created a new people for himself? Has God rejected his own people? Now remember, Rome at the time that Paul was writing this was an anti-Semitic place. Jews were not loved in society 
and it was tempting for the church to not love them much either. And, and so you might have expected Paul to ask this question, has God rejected his people? And you might have expected the answer to be yes. After all, where are they in the church? But in fact, the very way Paul asks the question insists that the answer must be no. Of course God hasn't rejected his people. He hasn't rejected his people whom he foreknew, says he in verse 2, or those he chose from the beginning. He says in verse 28 something similar. In fact, he bookmarks the chapter with this. Verse 28, he says, Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news. This benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Paul thinks back to these dark days of Elijah, where it seems like people are just rejecting God. And those who should know better, those who have a history with God, are turning away from him and worshiping worthless things. In fact, it's a bit worse because they are not turning away from him, but they are deliberately turning to an image of him that they have made. An image which says, follow the rules and God will love you. Instead of saying, trust God and he will provide for you. Paul thinks about Elijah and he says, you know what? There's another similarity here as there was there. Because Think what God told Elijah when, Eli when Elijah threw his pity party. Elijah said, I'm the only one God. And God said, Elijah, mate, I've kept 7,000 for myself who have not bowed before Baal. And Paul looks at that and says, you know what? Just as there were 7,000 there who had not defied God, who had not rebelled against God, who had stayed true to God, there are two, uh, there are also a remnant today in his time, and I believe a remnant that lasts even today. The remnant, the dividing line is, of course, whether they trust Jesus, that, that he is Lord, that he died, that he rose again. And it's true that most of the Jewish people have refused to accept Jesus. But I believe Paul says quite clearly that God has kept some who have stayed true to God. And Paul says, hey, I put my hand up. I'm one of those. And not those who are true to God because they keep all the laws and they obey everything. But those who are saved by grace. Those who trust Jesus. Did God reject his people? Those that he knew in advance, that he chose in advance. No, says Paul. And I, I hope you've got this because he said it three times in three chapters. No, says Paul. He has not rejected his people. He has always been keeping a kernel of people, the, the, the true people of God, those who trust him. Saved not by mere DNA heritage from Abraham, but by trusting in God's grace through Jesus who know that the only hope of being right with God is trusting God through Jesus. So what, what about the rest of those who claim to be Israelites? Because Paul sees that there are Israelites, true Israelites, true descendants of Abraham, 
and those who are perhaps genetically Israelites but actually live as enemy combatants. Standing against the gospel of God, against the truth of God, against the grace of God. Well, Paul says here in verse 7, he says, Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they were looking for so earnestly. A few have, the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. And, and Paul goes on to say that God put them into a deep sleep. He shut their eyes so they do not see, closed their ears so they don't hear. And, and he speaks David, he, he quotes a psalm where David speaks about the enemies at table becoming a snare and a trap then and they think everything is going well and and they're blessed but they're actually stumbling over how good things are going so paul good questions if, if you keep questions to the end then we'll have a good discussion afterwards because hopefully i'll answer some of them so paul looks at them and says, you know, some of these people have been hardened by God. They've been too proud to accept that Jesus is Lord. To, to, they're too proud, says Paul, to accept that, that working hard enough can't make you good enough for God. God himself, says Paul, has blinded their eyes. And again... Um, we see the paradox of God's absolute sovereignty and human responsibility. God is the one who has blinded their eyes so that they don't see. God is the one who has hardened their hearts so that they don't turn. But at the same time, they are the ones who have rejected. They are the ones who has rebelled. We've just heard, if you read up a few verses in chapter 10, the problem is that they've been disobedient. If you go down to chapter 11, verse 20, we see something similar. It says there, you have to remember those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. So it's God doing it, but it is their not believing that is the cause of it. And, and you look at that and you go, okay, but uh, thank you God that you know how this all works together because I have no idea. I don't understand God, but, but you say it's so. So let's, let's move on. Paul says, are God's people rejected by God? And he says, absolutely not. But let's ask a follow-up question. If God's people, if so many of the, the, the Israelite race, the Jewish people, have rejected God, rebelled against God, does that mean that they are beyond recovery? Straw poll, who says yes? God's good. Who says that they are not beyond recovery? I'm just going to stop preaching now. <laughs> Israel, says Paul in verse 11, has stumbled, has, has tripped over uh, the, the stone that God has placed in their path, the, the stone that is Jesus. They have stumbled at the idea that Jesus is the only way to God, that he is the, the Messiah, the promised Savior. But Paul goes on to say that actually this stumbling, this rebellion, this falling is not just an accident. It's actually something that God uses, uh, perhaps even that God intended. Because if you think about it, had Israel en masse accepted Jesus is the Lord and the Savior and the Messiah, 
it's very possible that, that some of the Jewish prejudices would have been reinforced. You know that old, that old saying, thank you, the prayer of a Jewish man, thank you God that you have not made me a Gentile or a woman. Now, at least, or a slave, a Gentile, or a slave, or a woman. Um, okay, we're all Gentiles, but phew, thank God that you have not made me a slave or a woman. But do, do you see the problem? If God had come and all of the Israelites had accepted straight away Jesus is the Messiah, it's still a very in-house Jewish thing. But all along, God has, God has wanted Jews and Gentiles together to be blessed. Way back when, when God came to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and 17, God said to him, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be the person that I use to bless the whole world. Not just you, Abraham, but all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And so I think God looks and he says, okay, my people have got this very insular thing that it's all about us, 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 us. And so I'm going to use their very rebellion against me to take the gospel and spread it wide. Because instead of it just being us, 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 it's going to be all of the world open invitation to come and be members of the people of God. And in fact, God is wonderfully devious because he, he does it. I don't know, is that, is that hip, horrible to say God is wonderfully devious? Devious in a good way. Devious in a good way because he says, right, the Jewish people, uh, perhaps we need to just open it up. In their rebellion, I'm going to offer salvation to everyone. And in offering salvation to everyone, they're going to get so jealous that they're going to say, me, 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 and want it back for themselves. Perhaps it's not God being devious. Perhaps it's just God knowing to treat people like two-year-olds. You know, if you give someone, Colin, would you like this toy? Taryn, would you like this toy? Now Colin's going, I want it. I want it. It's not fair. I want it. Give it to me. <coughs> Neither of you can have it if you can't get on without fighting. You see, I'm not God. <laughs> Their disobedience led to salvation being made available to us, um, which is meant to make the people of God so jealous that God would open his arms wide to the world that they would run in. Are we still making the people of God jealous? Or are we so in their own shoes that it's all about us, 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 us. We are all God's children. Beg pardon? Thank you. We, we are all God's children. We are all loved by God. But Paul, as a Jewish man, as a Jewish man, Paul looks and sees his own people in the state of rebellion. And Paul knows his people. And he says, I will provoke them to jealousy. This is God's plan. 
And if you read through Acts, that's what Paul did. He went to a new town. He went to the Jewish meeting place. He said to them, hey, this is the good news of God. Jesus came, he died, he rose again so that you can be right with God. And when some of them accepted it, it was wonderful and they joined the church. And when eventually some of them rejected it, he said, fine, I will go to the Gentiles. And in fact, we read about people in Ephesus later on, the leaders of the Jewish synagogue become churchmen, Christians. I I can't help but wonder whether that was because they were jealous. This good news. Paul goes on. We're, we're running out of time. Let's, let's move on very quickly because we're coming to the really good bit over here. Paul says here, did God's people really stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation to, available to the Gentiles. He goes on. He says, uh, verse 12, If the Gentiles were enriched because of the people of Israel turning down God's offer of salvation... How much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. Since verse 15, their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who are dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy, just as the entire batch of dough is holy, because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. I love Paul's little logical twist there. He says, if the Jews rejecting God means that we get saved, put all of that on a sliding scale. Rejecting to accepting. Wow! It's going to be fantastic when God's people accept Him. And life from the dead, I think Paul is speaking there of the resurrection when Jesus returns. He's speaking of the day when Jesus returns and we will see God's glory in the utmost. What is this business with a tree? Um, This is an olive tree branch for those of you who are not gardeners. There are absolutely zero olives on this olive tree branch. I think we've... How many olives have we had from this tree? The birds eat them. them. (laughs) Uh, Which means that there are not enough for us to get on our table, any olives. Um, Here Paul has this this interesting idea uh, of God's people as an olive tree. What does he say here? He says, think of the original recipients of God's promise. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Think of them as the roots of this olive tree. They, if you want to, they they are drawing nourishment from the promise of God. Where he said, I will bless you, I will be with you, I will bless all the world through you. Ultimately, all of those promises of God forming his kingdom, bringing us to himself, God being with us, God being the king, all of those things coming through from there, through the root, through the people to whom it was originally promised. And from there, the tree grows and flourishes because of the goodness and grace of God. As you can see, I I cut that bit off this morning, but if you go to my house, I have trimmed one of our olive trees Um, I looked it up on the web this morning and I trimmed it at the wrong time of year. (laughs) But (laughs) nevertheless, I have trimmed and pruned 
and chopped away at an olive tree. Uh, we had branches, how long? A meter and a half, two meters long that I am now bending into shapes to keep the birds away from my fruit. Um, so at least the olives will be useful in some way. There were some branches that just had to be cut out. Um, when we got to the house, somebody had topped the tree and it had become basically an olive bush. And trees grow better when they are open in the middle, when they can spread, when there's space, I'm told. So I chopped out the inner branches and opened it up. It's, it's, it still looks like it's been hacked to death by a, a maniac with a, a saw. But I, th- I, th- I hope that it's now going to grow better. Because there were branches in the wrong place, crowding each other out, crowding out the light, crowding out the nutrients. Now, says Paul, originally the olive tree of God, the, the people of God, had many, many, many branches. God had promised to Abraham that he would make his descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Think of that as a messy tree with all these branches in there. But over time, God has trimmed and pruned and sorted out this tree. Got rid of the branches that have withered and died. Because they are not connected to the, to the nourishment, to the sap that comes through the root, the, the, the sap of God's promises. God has pruned out those who do not believe, who have rejected him, ultimately who reject Jesus. And it's, it's not just a New Testament thing. That Paul says God is pruning out the tree. Now, if, if you look back in the Old Testament, uh, God, we saw in chapter 9, God said, I, I pruned out Esau, but I chose Jacob. We saw it even in the story of Elijah. God had pruned hard to get 7,000 tip branches that were still connected to the sap, to the root, that still trusted God. Now, you and I, of course, are not genetically descended from Abraham, necessarily. But the amazing thing is that God is not only a a bad gardener like I who can prune and chop, and it's great fun pruning and chopping, but even more amazing, God is an expert grafter. God can take a bit of a branch and he can attach it to another bit of branch, and it'll grow. And the, the strange thing is that, that God is such an incredible gardener that, that he then does something really weird. He takes branches from unproductive, wild, straggly, icky olive bushes, and he grafts them onto this cultured tree that he has been culturing for Thousands of years. He grafts you and I into the family of Abraham. How? Well, it's all because of trust. Remember, the promise is what we trust on. The promise is the sap that runs through this this family tree of Abraham. We're not grafted in because God looks at us and goes, Wow, that is a fantastic. Fantastic olive branch. I need that in my tree. We're grafted in because God says, you know what? I made all the olive trees and I want to, I want to see them flourish and grow. I want to see all of these people connected. 
questions afterwards if we could. I want to see all of these people connected and growing together. It's not that we are more deserving than anyone else, that God should chop out that branch to put me in. What arrogance is that? We, we shouldn't be arrogant, says Paul in verse 20. In fact, we should be fearful. Because God shows His kindness to those who trust in Him, but He also shows sternness to those who don't trust. And if God doesn't hesitate to chop off the natural branches that, that belong to the tree when they stop trusting, when they no longer have the, 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 the trust in God, when they no longer rely on His promises... If God is not hesitant to chop them off, why would He be hesitant if you and I stop trusting Him? And some of you are sitting here going, Oh, Nick, 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 Nick. I'm, I'm thinking, I read a passage. In, in fact, maybe it's one of your favorite passages, Nick. John chapter 6, where Jesus said that He will not let go of anyone that the Father has given into His hands. And, and I can quote you chapters and verse all the time, Nick. In fact, you can go through Romans and tell me that God says that that if you trust in Him, you will never be put to shame. That, that, that once saved, always saved, Nick. Absolutely. And the thing is, at the same time God says all those things, He also says to us, you know what? Don't treat God as if He was just another human. Remember that God is God and we are not. Is it possible to be pruned out again? Well, Paul says yes. Is it possible for true Christians to ever lose their salvation? No. Hold the two up and go, thank you, God. <laughs> there is a tension there. But what is Paul's point here? Paul's saying to us, don't be arrogant and proud before God. God doesn't owe us anything. He, he saves us because He loves us. And we are saved because we trust in Jesus. And if we or our descendants or our churches stop relying on God, stop relying on His promises, stop trusting Him, then we cease to be the church. We are lying on the ground, perhaps, and we still say, I'm an olive branch, yeah. And God says, that's very nice. You are an olive branch, but I cut you off. And there's a danger for the church that we, that we do that. There, there are churches who have so compromised on what God has said that, that I believe that although they, they still bear the name church, in God's eyes, they are on the pile. Just as, unfortunately, the people of Israel, by and large, say we are God's chosen people. And God looks at them, I believe, at the moment and says, yes, you are, but I've had to prune you off. Because the only way that you stay part of my family is if you trust me. Now, Paul does go, okay, the big question he was asking was, um, is it impossible for the Jewish people to come back to God? And of course not. If God can put you and I back into his tree where we never actually belonged in the first place, surely he can graft in a branch that belongs there that is, that is completely compatible with the sap. 
Absolutely, says Paul. Yes, they can be grafted back in, verse 23, if they don't continue in unbelief. If they start trusting in God, believing in Jesus, then God says, fantastic, there's room in the tree for you. And if you believe that, that you can trust God, then, then God says, fantastic, there's room in the tree for you. And if a church today starts rejecting God and going aside, and then they turn from their sins and they say, we trust you, God, we want to follow you, we love you, you have saved us, you alone, Jesus, then God will say, of course, welcome back, there's room in the tree for you because this tree has just got space for grafts. God will trim it, but God is the grafting gardener. Isn't that fantastic? So where is Paul taking all of this? Um, Paul's point, I, I believe, is that salvation is for everyone. All those who trust in Jesus become one people, become the people of God. That is, if you trust Jesus, you are grafted into the tree, uh, uh, put it into modern language, you become Israel. Put it into even more modern language, you become the church. I want to suggest to you that we can use Israel these days and the church synonymously. Since Jesus came, Israel is the church and the church is Israel. We come to verse 25 and 26 and, and, and N.T. Wright translates it this way. He says, A hardening has come upon Israel, allowing time for the nations to come in, and that is how God is saving all Israel. All Israel will be saved. What does that mean? Does that mean that, that there will come a time when every single Jew on the planet will trust Jesus all of a sudden? Of course not. There will come a time when perhaps and, and hopefully God will have a great awakening among the Jewish people. But who is Israel? Israel is Abraham's family. Is those who trust him. And you know what? If you have been grafted into the tree, you too are a member of Israel. The rejection of Jesus by most of ethnic Israel has meant time for lots of grafting and pruning to happen. And for God's mercy to be made available as a gift of grace. Everyone, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile has to come to the place where we recognize that nothing but the kindness and grace of God can save us. There is no way to come to the Father except Jesus. Nobody deserves God's mercy, but if we are to share in the promises of God, His promises of a future, of life, of Himself, then we need to trust Him. All Israel will be saved. My brothers and sisters... If you believe in Jesus, we are part of Israel. Let's not be arrogant. We're not the root. We, we've been grafted in. And there's natural branches that will, I believe, be grafted back in. Branches like Paul. He was pruned off. God met him on the road and said, right, Paul, I'm sticking you back on. Show of hands, who understands Romans chapter 11 perfectly? <laughs> Whom have I confused? Well, let, well let, let, me, let me smother your confusion with this. Romans chapter 11. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. God's sovereignty hardening hearts, people having to decide and 
being responsible at the same time? I don't understand it. How impossible it is for us to understand his ways and his decisions. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give God advice? Now, actually, God, let's do it this way. Who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? God, you owe me because, you know what, I've, I've been to church three times this week, God, so, you know. For everything comes from God and exists by his power and is intended for his glory, all glory to him forever and ever. For through him and from him and to him are all things. May he be glorified. Amen. Over to you, Mr. Colin. Is it just because I offered to Colin? himself in light and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice and trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God And all will see how great, how great is our God. And age to age He stands, and time is in His hands, beginning and the end. Beginning and the end The Godhead three in one Father, Spirit, Son The Lion and the Lamb The Lion and the Lamb How great is our God Sing with me how great is our God And all will see how great How great is our God Name above all names Worthy are 
of all praise. My heart will sing how great is our God. Of all names, worthy of all praise, my heart will sing how great is our God. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. Is our God, sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Oh, we praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for sending us Jesus, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can have life in him. Lord, we pray that as we go out this week, Father, we... Um, celebrate the things you've done in our lives and the way you've blessed us and lord we just pray that this your word really just sinks into our hearts this week lord and and, and bears fruit in our lives in jesus name amen. amen everybody welcome for a cup of soup and some coffee and fellowship So when is the right time to prune an olive tree? Pardon? When is the right time to prune, prune an olive? I, I say when you want to. <laughs> when it gets out of, out of hand. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Oh, you're giving it to, me. are you giving yours to? No, I was given both of these. Oh, I see, I see, okay. I think this is another week today. Is it? Uh, I believe in Jesus. No, two, extra two songs were mine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks. So when is the right time to prune an olive tree? When is the what? Right, right time to prune. And you pruned it when? Oh, okay. What if, what if this is going to grow by slip? Shall I try? Hmm? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I actually want to try. Have you? Oh, okay. I'll see if it grows, yeah. Yes, I've got the gel. Me too. Roses at the moment. Ah, okay. And um, lavender. Lavender? Okay. No, you can do it with lavender. I'll give it a go. Oh. Thank you, Thank you.
I, yeah. End of September. September. Am I? Okay. I think it's October. I thought I was singing the 21st of. Anyway, I'll ask Nick. I think it's. Okay. You're on the last one for September. Oh, I see. Okay. I forgot about that. Throat is sore. Okay. Um, ASAP. And I think you're singing. I'm singing the 21st, I think. Is it 21st? Okay. I believe. I got to up here. Oh. 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 Oh.